The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at my number one album. Big shocker to me. Also folklore. Whoa. Are you ready to dive into all things Taylor Swift? Good for a weekend is the ultimate podcast for any Swifty. With new episodes dropping bi-monthly, as well as bonus episodes to give you real-time reactions to the latest rumors and news, it's your one-stop shop for all things T-Swift. We also love connecting with our fellow Weekenders, so be sure to connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, and or Discord to share all your Taylor thoughts. Good for a weekend is available wherever you get your podcasts. I know. Folklore just is... Like, it's a perfect album. Consequence Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to The Spark Parade, where I geek out with artists and entertainers about their cultural spark of inspiration. I'm Adam Unz at Spark Parade on all social media. Thanks ever so much for joining me. Uh, we've got double trouble this week. Ooh, that sounds gross. What I am trying to say is that I've got two guests, and they are both from the Broken Lizard comedy troupe. How exciting is that? Now, uh, just because they work together and are friends doesn't mean they are sparked by the same thing. They are individuals, you see. So I spoke to Jay Chandrasekhar about his spark, Eddie Murphy's first film, 48 Hours, and to Kevin Heffernan about his spark, Steve Martin's classic comedy album, A Wild and Crazy Guy. So tons of comedy content going on today. Uh, chatting with Jay and Kevin was predictably incredible, and I think you are going to have an extremely fun time listening to our conversation, so let's get to it. Quick Jay and Kevin facts. Comedians and actors Jay Chandrasekhar and Kevin Heffernan are members of the Broken Lizard comedy troupe. The entire troupe collaborates on the screenwriting, acting, and productions of their films, with Chandrasekhar and Heffernan being the primary directors. The team, however, does not have a single leader, and they work collaboratively when choosing material and writing projects. Their films include Super Troopers and its sequel, Beer Fest, and their brand new movie, Quasi, which is available on Hulu at this very moment. Quick 48 Hours Facts 48 Hours is a buddy cop action comedy film starring Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy in his film debut as a cop and a convict, respectively, who team up to catch two hardened criminals. The title refers to the amount of time they have to solve the crime. 48 Hours was one of the most commercially successful films of 1982, and it received widespread acclaim from critics. 
It launched Murphy's film career and earned him a Golden Globe Award nomination. Quick A Wild and Crazy Guy Facts A Wild and Crazy Guy is an album by comedian Steve Martin released in 1978. It reached number two on Billboard's Pop Albums chart and was eventually certified double platinum. It contains the novelty hit King Tut, which Martin also performed on Saturday Night Live. The album was released just as his fame grew and the format reflects this. The first half of the album was performed in front of a small audience at the boarding house in San Francisco, California, where his previous album had been recorded. The second half of the album was performed at the Red Rocks Amphitheater in Denver. The album won the Grammy Award in 1979 for Best Comedy Album, and in 2015, it was selected for preservation in the National Recording Registry. And there you have it. Let's get ready to laugh, shall we? Here comes my chat with Broken Lizard about 48 hours and a wild and crazy guy. So... We have a loose theme going on here. Let's say uh, SNL affiliated comedians becoming superstars. <laughs> okay. It's a mouthful, but... Um, it's good. No, but I think that's appropriate. So, yeah. I mean, I guess we want to include everybody. Don't feel like when we're talking about one person's chosen subject that the other person has to stay quiet unless you so desire. <laughs> I have a lot to say about Kevin's choice. Okay. Well, uh, let's just <laughs> dive right in then. So I guess, uh, Jay, why don't we um, kick it off with a little 48 hours chat? So the way we uh, start these conversations is always with a little origin story. So do you remember seeing 48 hours for the first time or hearing about it? Well, you know, I saw uh, Eddie Murphy on Saturday Night Live and I, I then I saw posters for... Eddie Murphy coming to Chicago uh, on the basically like just strip you know on the walls of, of places, and so I asked my dad if I could go. I was fifteen, and so we bought tickets to the Chicago Theater. We were the back row of a totally packed house uh, of the balcony, uh, and my friend and I went. I, it didn't occur to me that they weren't great seats. They were because it was an explosive performance. It was the first time I was like, oh yeah. That's a real, like I'd heard, I mean, I'll, we'll get to this. I'd heard Let's Get Small. I've heard, you know, I'd seen prior, but this was the first time I'd seen it in person, stand up in person. I was like, whoa, that's a job. Wow. That's, it looks like a good job. Uh, and then, you know, when 48 Hours came out, which I'm pretty sure is uh, Eddie Murphy's first film. Is that is that yeah. correct, Kevin? Do you know? Oh, that's right. Okay. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, I mean, it, it it opens with that incredible intro that couldn't have been in Walter Hill in that script uh, where, where he's singing Roxanne. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, you're like, oh, is it? Because the opening of that movie is such a, it's so dark and violent and intense. And then there's Eddie Murphy singing this song. And you're like, is this going to be a wacky movie somehow? <laughs> and I don't think it ever does get... I mean, that's the biggest, wackiest moment of the movie. I mean, I suppose the bar scene where he, where he pretends to be a cop is, is, is also. But I mean, it's all feels very real. And that is what I respond to. That to me, this is my favorite movie of all time because it's undeniably funny. But every moment is played realistically and, and the violence is, you know, gives you such uh, stakes and edge. 
and Kevin will tell you that I, you know, I'm 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 the asshole in the in the Broken Lizard movie who's who's always like, could that really happen? Could that really happen? <laughs> uh, and uh, as a result, you know, I mean, a lot of that has to do with to me with what Walter Hill did with Forty Eight Hours. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it has a tough it has a tough feel to it. You know, it's it's it, there's a certain you know. And I think Nick Nolte adds to that because he has that kind of grizzled, you know, element to him that is at the middle of the movie. You know, but it's tough and funny. Yeah, tough and funny. And Kevin and I have seen a lot of movies uh, together, hundreds, hundreds. And if the tough guy, if the bad guy isn't tough, and the and the the <laughs> metric is could either of us beat them up? And if either <laughs> of us can beat up the bad guy in a movie, the movie doesn't work, right? You know, there was a movie with Tim, where Tim Roth was the bad guy, and Kevin's like, no way, both of us could kick Tim Roth's ass, no way. <laughs> John Lithgow uh, fighting Sylvester Stallone and Cliffhanger? No. No way. John Lithgow, <laughs> no. No. Yeah. No. But, you know, James Remar being uh, the kind of uh, bad guy in this one, he seems pretty tough to me. I don't know um, if you feel the same. Well, but... not only is is he tough, but he was in, which I think is another Walter Hill movie, The, uh, the Warriors. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a tough guy in the Warriors too. He's a gear, you know, so he, I mean, he's already pre-approved as tough by the time we see him in Forty Eight Hours. Right. I could have said the Warriors today, but that what a great movie that is! <laughs> Incredible. Sure. Um, but I guess you know this is a, a movie of a lot of firsts. It's essentially the first buddy cop movie. It's Joel Silver's first movie as a producer, and he produced fucking everything. Yeah. Sure. And, you know, I think the most important one is Eddie Murphy's first movie. And also both of those scenes that you mentioned, Jay, what an introduction. And the like that is a star straight away when you see him sitting in that. I mean, there's a little bit of suspension of disbelief that he's in prison sitting in a like a lazy boy <laughs> recliner with yeah. a baseball cap and sunglasses and like a Walkman. Um, but just singing Roxanne. And it is this like totally absurd, but perfectly toned moment that really just like gets you into who he is and sets up his whole career, but especially all of the, you know, he had a run of incredible movies in the eighties. Yeah. Uh, the funny thing about it is though, and I, I watched, I watched that 48 hours, you know, within the last couple of years and I watched it very close to Beverly Hills cop. And when you watch those movies, you see kind of the difference. Like that was obviously his next big, thing right or was trading places but but um but beverly hills cop is a comedy movie 48 hours is an is an action you know cop movie with comedy in it and a comic actor when you watch those movies back to back they're both great movies but there is a different vibe like one is a little goofier you know but he's still kind of a similar kind of guy but uh it's got a little bit of a goofier tone than 48 hours is and that was you know i think that's what makes 48 hours that gritty thing that you like jay yeah and yet Beverly Hills Cop opens with a very grisly murder, and it it takes a page from Forty Eight Hours for sure. Yeah, but there are bits in that movie. They do bits. There are bits. You know? <laughs> there are bits. But what they messed up, in my view, and it's a great fucking movie, is and it was a it was the thing that it is one of those things. Occasionally, I am like at odds with the entire country, uh, and this <laughs> this is one of them was uh, Axel's theme. And, you know, I, I was very much uh, a, a rock and roll guy. And so when Synthesizer came in, I was mad at it. And then they put this 
boop, 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 this little actual theme in the middle of a movie <laughs> that could have been like 48 hours. It was playing like 40. Then they have the score to 48 hours is so intense and amazing and driving and and then you got this guy axel's theme running around and and, and you're like <laughs> i mean great movie my god what a movie but i still bristle when i hear it i'm like ugh. yeah very uh very specific um you have to it's kind a taste of... of the times jay that was the uh you know the 80s synthesizer well you know I, you know i don't think good things came of that <laughs> Um, but yeah, I guess like maybe a, a more direct successor to this movie is like Lethal Weapon, not only in just a black lead and a white lead, but also that kind of buddy cop thing happening and also being an action movie that has levity, has bits of humor in it, but at its heart is really an action movie. And it has pathos. I mean, Mel Gibson puts a gun to his head and pulls the trigger. Right. You're like, what? <laughs> yeah. This dude is... Got a death wish. And you're like, this is cool. I mean, I know it's stupid, but I mean, it was what made that movie kind of like, whoa, yeah. what puts it in the 48 hours camp over the Beverly Hills cop camp. Yeah. Both great movies. Both great movies. Yeah. Um, also, just going back to how wonderful Eddie Murphy is, he was like 21 when he made this movie. I know. Unbelievable. And, you know, at that time was the youngest person ever on SNL, started when he was 19. And in that short period of time just like became this huge cultural force and that kind of like stratospheric rise to the top of comedy is like unprecedented it's really amazing yeah and Saturday Night Live up until that point had not as far as I remember had a black cast member be that confident that dominant that central mm -hmm. you know Garrett Morris no doubt was important and influential but wasn't like he wasn't Bill Murray and he wasn't Chevy Chase. Right. Eddie Murphy was Bill Murray and Chevy Chase wrapped into one. And it, imagine him being 19 going into that, you know, what had to have been like an all-white situation and emerging like a phoenix. Like, imagine that. I can't even. Totally. And, you know, creating iconic characters on SNL and then launching this movie career while he was still on SNL. And after uh, 48 Hours came out, he was the first cast member to host while he was on the show and yeah just doing these totally unprecedented things and becoming this huge superstar while he was on the show i don't know that that happens very often with snl like people are famous but normally they finish with a show you know people like will ferrell where after it's done they start their movie career in earnest and become huge but yeah yeah pretty special guy I think he's he's done pretty well for himself since uh, 48 Hours. He's done all right. Uh, apparently, he's a Super Troopers fan. He's a Super Troopers fan. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. What else? What hey. else do you need? I've met him. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Time to stretch our little legs, but we'll be right back after the break. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So uh, I guess the tenuous connection that I'm trying to draw between uh, people who have been on SNL, uh, Steve Martin, having like similarities in, in how his uh, rise to the top of his field happened, but, you know, he was big as a stand-up at this time when he was on SNL, but SNL was a very big part of getting him into the public consciousness um, and you know, when uh, a wild and crazy guy came out, you know, there's a a link between that and the sketch that he did with Dan Aykroyd. And yeah. So anyway, Kevin, same question to you. Do you remember hearing that album for the first time? I do. I mean, I was probably like 10 or nine or 10 years old. And uh, I remember just standing in my living, my parents' living room, watching the turntable and just listening to that album and being like, I've never heard anything like this before. And it, it was accessible to me. I mean, now, you know, you hear it and there are other things that are funny about it, but it was accessible because it was, it was not only, it was, it was, a, it was smart. It felt smart, but it was also silly. And I think as a, as a, as a 10 year old kid, those are the parts that appealed to me at that time. And, and you would try to memorize it and you'd try to say it and you'd use the same bits that on your mom or whatever it is, you know, and, and as a kid, it, it kind of informed what you found was funny, I felt like, or for me, what I, what I thought was funny in, in that there was a smartness and a silliness. And I think to the same extent kind of still informs us today is that, you know, Broken Lizard, we like to say that we think we're, we do, um, you know, dumb comedy for smart people or smart comedy for dumb people. Um, and I think that that, you know, the early, you know, that Steve Martin stuff kind of encapsulates that, you know, and, and that's, I think what I sparked to at that time, you know. But when you look at it now, older, I mean, there are just things that are, there's just an incredible, it, it kind of encapsulates a, a sea change in the history of stand-up comedy because he was really one of the first arena guys. You know, he was, you know, he made it possible for Eddie Murphy to go sell those arenas. Like he, you know, within the span of about three years, he, he was doing like, you know, 100 seats here and hundreds there. And then all of a sudden he's doing 19,000 seats because of, well, the Tonight Show, and because of Saturday Night Live, you know, and and the amazing thing about that album is it captures it because I don't, I don't know how much you remember, but the first half of the album is recorded in a small club in San Francisco in front of a hundred people or a couple hundred people, and then the second and the album shifts in the second half of the album, he's at Red Rocks and he's in front of thousands of people, and so you start the thing and you can feel how material changes. Stand-up material changes in those venues. You know, he's doing funny, weird, quirky stuff in the beginning. And then you get halfway through the album, he's doing his fucking hits. You know, he's doing Wild and Crazy Guy and Excuse Me. And he's doing King Tut. And he's playing to thousands of people and you can hear the roar. And to me, when I listen to that album now, that's, that's a historical shift where guys do it. You know, everybody, you know, it's Dane Cook or Joe Coy or, you know, these guys sent out arenas. Mm-hmm. But at the time, they didn't do that. And it kind of drove him out of stand-up. But I think 
to me, that's listening to the album now, which is amazing about it, is that it, it captures exactly what happened in 1978, 79, where things just changed, where you became rock stars. Right. You know, and that, that's to me, what I think what the cool thing about that album is, is now when you listen to it. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, what you were saying about being like smart and stupid at the same time, you know, he's a guy who loves language, like, you know, studied philosophy, has really complex, lofty ideas, but also is not afraid of and actually really likes being silly and stupid in front of people. And, you know, what he said is the thing about the, um, like the arrow through the head, kids see that and think it's funny that a guy has an arrow through his head and adults see it and think it's funny that this guy with the arrow through his head thinks that that's funny. (laughs) Right. And that's the nature of his comedy too. You know, he'll, he, you know, in this album, he goes on a little riff about Da Vinci and how smart Da Vinci was. And then he turns it into a thing about him juggling in his own mind. You know, so I took up juggling, you know, and like, you know, it's just a deconstructing of, of the intellectual stuff into silliness, which is so great. He has that little bit about the, the being in jail. Right. And he goes, so I got small. And I walked out, right? Isn't that, yeah, isn't that's in the, that's in, I think, the previous album, yeah. Oh, the yeah. previous album, okay. Which album are you talking about? Wild and Crazy Guy. Oh, I thought you were talking about Let's Get Small. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Okay, that doesn't Yeah. Work. Okay, great. But yeah, no, he still trots out stuff, like Excuse Me is on the earlier albums. But, he, but now, you know, the crowd has heard it, and the crowd has seen that bit. And so now when he's standing in front of 2,000 people at Red Rocks, and he goes, excuse me, and the place goes, ah! and the place just goes bananas, because it's that that arena comic thing where you walk out and you can't get nuanced. You just have to throw the big stuff at them. And, and he does it incredibly and he does it differently than he does it on the first half of the album. You know, yeah, he just gets out there and hits with the big ones uh, and ends obviously ends with King Tut, you know, but um, which as a kid, those big ones were the ones that were like, he's got happy feet, you know, whatever. Those are the ones that you're so excited about. But now you listen to the first half of the album and you're like, the more intellectual stuff is you've noticed that, you know, the appeal of that stuff. And like I thinking about how unusual he was as a, a comedian, you know, like you said, kind of the, the first big stadium comedian, but also this album was number two on the pop charts. And yeah, it was huge. He was on the cover of Rolling Stone, right. <laughs> you know, and a single sold yeah. like, you know, a million copies King Tut. Um, so, yeah, and having this guy who's and it drove him out of stand-up, right? Because he couldn't; it got too big. Right. It was kind of like the Beatles performing live. It was like the reason why he wore that white suit was because he felt like in these big arenas people couldn't see him, mm-hmm. so he started wearing that white suit so that people would be, "Oh, there's Steve Martin way down there." And then it, it just got too big; like he couldn't, you know, the crowd before he even finished the line, the crowd would be cheering, right? And it was like, "Oh, okay, well, yeah." <laughs> time to go make movies. Right. But, you know, I, like I, I read uh, a lot of stuff about people going to see him uh, during that time. This guy who was a kid, like it was the first big thing that he'd seen. He went to see him in an arena. It was exactly that thing. He's like, you know, way up in the nosebleeds, like one of the last rows. You could still, still see this little white suit. And it was like, it could have been anybody, but he knew that it was Steve Martin. And he just was like losing his shit. So excited. Yeah. And that's the kind of feeling. And he had a yeah. bit for those people where he would make fun of those people about how they get ripped, ripped off on their tickets. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like you said, leaving this to go and make movies and the 
next thing was the jerk and like my god what yeah. a what a movie to dive straight into yeah but uh yeah just the thing that i thought was really striking too is listening to this album if you watch it there are plenty of sight gags it doesn't matter it's like yeah. you know you even uh you, you can kind of fill in those gaps in uh you know the audience's reaction and stuff but even if you don't the album still stands up on its own and i um just also thinking about a time when comedy albums were much more prominent that wasn't like people had, you know, HBO specials or yeah. whatever. So you couldn't see those. Yeah. And it's more raw too. Like you'll listen to that album now and you'll hear things that like, you know, you know, I've done specials, stand up specials and, and, and you are quick to edit certain things out, you know? And in that album, which was, you know, the number two album in the country, there's like a point where like a baby starts talking in the middle of his set mm-hmm. and, and he gets knocked off his game and he starts to riff on it and with the baby and then and then he tries to find his way back to his bit but you know like these days you just you'd be you'd be cutting that stuff out right you know first of all i don't know why a baby's at his show seriously (laughs) but but literally some two-year-old kid starts talking in the middle of his act and it's in the album yeah and and the guy he's not heckling but he's like asking for a bit just kind of shout something out and he's like Yes, I remember my first beer as well. <laughs> just like, yeah, um, yeah, so quick on his feet, like really, you know. Obviously, he'd done it so many times that it's you know probably he doesn't even have to think about it anymore, and those interruptions don't throw him off. But um, yeah, just such a a, a quick witted guy, and that's never really changed. He's always just kind of been on top of things like that. Yeah, and then you know he just quit. He just never did stand up again, and. uh which was interesting too. Though we saw him, do you remember in Aspen? Yeah. Were you, were you there? You were there for that, right? For was it one of the for the Aspen Comedy Fest or? Yeah. He came yeah. out with the arrow and he did some stand up. Yeah. yeah. Like a he opened for Seinfeld or whatever. Some like as a joke or whatever recently, I think. Yeah, it was like we were we were at Aspen Comedy Festival and there might have been like a probably two hundred fifty seat club or something, and he came out and did ten fifteen <laughs> with the arrow and. It was, yeah. it was incredible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I've seen him at the Hollywood Bowl with his uh, Lone Mountain Rangers or whatever that is, uh, you know, playing banjo, which, you know, it's just another e- example of his, of his brain. You know, he writes books, he makes movies, he directs movies, he's stand up, but he also plays banjo, a 12 string, very difficult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Quite a, uh, yeah. Multi-talented guy. Um, yeah, I get the the other kind of connection. And he he cracks jokes during that show too. He mm. cracks he cracks jokes during his banjo Lone Ranger, you know, Long Ranger performance. And it's like a mix of mostly music, but definitely jokes. I mean, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, being able to kind of seamlessly weave the other parts, of, you know, other art areas that he works in into whatever he's doing at the time. Um, again, to me, is just like a sign of his genius that he. Uh, is able to kind of combine all of those worlds and uh, keep people happy in a million different ways at the same time. Yeah. The other thing I was just thinking is um, he's a national treasure. He is. Yes. You heard it here first. The other thing I was thinking, but with both of these uh, guys with, uh, with Eddie Murphy as well is coming up at a time when there were fewer pipes for us to get our pop culture through and everything was kind of filtered through these narrow pathways. So you could 
buy records in the store. You could go into a record store and kind of flip through things. But in terms of like TV, only a few places that you could go, everything was live. And that was when SNL was really at its peak as well. So being on SNL meant access to this incredible audience, huge numbers, and building yeah. off of that foundation. He attributes that... Uh he attributes that increase in, in crowd sizes, you know, to directly to those, you know, um, SNL appearances, you know, it, uh, it, it changed his trajectory in the sense that, you know, all of a sudden there was this audience that saw him do the Czech brothers or whatever it was. And then, and then he just massively started selling tickets. Right. Right. Um, and again, kind of a meteoric rise, like, like he said, starting out in these small clubs and was, Kind of, you know, working on TV shows, writing, doing all this stuff for a long time, and then all of a sudden, poof, rock star. Yeah, and it's because it, you know, yeah, like these days, like you were saying, it's not, it's not as cut and dry as you fi- how you find that audience these days. You know, it's the the audience is more fractured, and so you know, it becomes kind of like you have to kind of figure it out how to cobble it together <laughs> in order to get that kind of response. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, regardless of how they found their audiences, I think the, uh, the summary here is two extremely talented guys who have done pretty well for themselves. Are you talking about us, Adam? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, oh, and of course, Eddie you. Murphy and, and Steve Martin, you know, to a lesser degree, oh, right, right. but, um, yeah, uh, I think that is a lovely note on which to finish. Um, I really appreciate you guys making <laughs> time for me. This has been really fun. Good. Thank you, Adam. Appreciate it. Adam. Can we talk about our movie Quasi? Oh yeah, let's do it. <laughs> uh, Kevin directed our, the last, the next Broken Lizard movie. It's called Quasi. It's, a, it's set in uh, 13th century France. It's got a hunchback. I play the king of France. There's a pope. It's a political intrigue movie with blood and English accents. A little bit of an homage to Monty Python. It's on Hulu right now. Uh, it opened on 420, so it's a good good movie to smoke a joint and watch because we wrote some of it that way, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's a good movie. It really turned out well. Yes, I agree. I guarantee you laughs. I guarantee you laughs. Again, I agree. And I must say, I very much appreciate that uh, release date. I uh, When I saw that that was the release date, I was just, you know, chef's kiss. Um, so sure, sure. thank you for that as well. Um, yes. So everybody go see quasi. Um, thank you so, so much again, both of you. Um, I, uh, this has been such a pleasure. Thanks Adam. Thank you. All right. Take care. What a pair of legends. Thanks again to Jay and Kevin for talking with me, uh, in case it has been wiped from your minds in the last 30 seconds, the new broken lizard movie quasi is out right now on Hulu and you should watch it. Okay, quick little spark of the week from me. I love horror movies. Like, I love them. I once went to a horror movie festival in London that was four days long, and I saw 20 movies. That was not an experience I would like to repeat, to be honest. But the point is, I love horror movies, and I finally got to see Evil Dead Rise this week, which is... As the name suggests, a new chapter in the Evil Dead franchise. Uh, It was fucking great. A really good balance of scary shit and funny shit and buckets of blood. If you are at all squeamish about any of those things, do not see this movie. 
If you love those things, see it immediately. And that is just about it for this time around. Please follow me on social media at Spark Parade, because why not? Uh, get some fresh air this week. Go for a nice little walk in the park or something. It'll do you some good. And until next time, bye. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.